Good morning. <laughs> How do you know it's morning? We're sipping on some sunshine. It could be the middle of the night for whoever's listening. It feels like the middle of the night. It does. It looks <laughs> it looks kind of like the middle of the it's night. It's pitch black Definitely. outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we've been recording at 6 o'clock every Friday to get the season four done. And unfortunately, today I was late. You say every Friday. It's been like two weeks. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but to me, it feels like every Friday. Yeah. Yeah. In your heart. In my heart. Yeah. And in reality, when I wake up, it feels like I just woke up yesterday. And like yesterday was Friday. Yeah. So every day is Friday. <laughs> I I think I understand. Yeah. Sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good life, man. It's great. Every day is your last day at work. But then it's kind of like you never get to the weekend if that's mm. the case. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, I work Tuesdays through Saturdays. And at first I thought it was going to be really weird. Yeah. But now I'm used to it. And while everybody's at work on Monday, I'm like, I can get used to Monday's feeling this way. Because mm. it feels like a weekend. Mm-hmm. And I get to be off when everybody else is working. Yeah. Yeah, don't get used to that. Okay. You keep saying that. But I don't know. <laughs> but can we talk about something for a second? Just get it out of the way? Yeah, what's up? So this episode is the book of Luke, right? And I can't tell you how devastated I was when I realized that in Star Wars, uh, Darth Vader doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. That is pretty devastating. Let's hear it. No, I am your father. No? Yeah. I am your father? Yeah. Well, I think the line right before that, Luke says, you killed my father. And then yeah. he says, no. I did not kill myself. <laughs> uh, I am your poppy. He should have said, no, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> he should have. You're right. So when you Google it, it is one of the the most misquoted yeah. movie of all time. Yeah. But I wish it said Luke because it would have been very appropriate for this episode. I will have to say, I feel like that's like one of the most popular quotes of all time. Luke, I am your I'm father. I'm your father. But it's not Luke. It's not really that a quote. That is crazy. They have uh, to remake that. We're going to need a bigger boat. It seems like it it could work really well for Jesus, though. Oh, Luke, I am your heavenly father. No, well, oh, <laughs> the real quote. No, I am your father. Like, you know. Oh, when Pilate went to him and said, are you the Christ? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I am what you say I am. Oh. That was good. That is. Right? I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. You yeah. kind of switched it up, yeah. Yeah, that was good. You think Jesus sound like this? No. I am your father. Do you think he did? No. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I knew it was coming. It was still just as funny when I heard it. (laughs) You guys ever got the coronavirus test? Yes. No. Never? No. I got it once. I got it three times. Really? You thought you had... No, because I traveled three times this year. So, in my defense, I don't even need to defend myself. I don't know why I'm saying that. But I had to do it myself. 
So when you go to CVS, mm. yeah, uh, they make you do it yourself. Yeah, they give you the swab and you yeah, have to do it. and you have to rub each nostril, swab each nostril for fifteen seconds each. Mm. So you can imagine how uncomfortable that is. It's weird. I do it with my finger all the time. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, right? Oh. But your finger is not very thin and pointy. Oh. You mean? Well, it depends on which finger you're talking about. And depending on the location you go to is how far they tell you to stick it up your nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you really have to get around the perimeter and like that hurts. That that little area up here that makes you tear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But imagine if we switched up the test. Oh. Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. I'm Nick. Bible Dingers. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. What's and up? we are Bible Dingers. And I hate that you switched it up. You're supposed to say, hey, yo. Nick, I switched that up in like. I hate that about you. The second episode of oh, the come on. season one. There's a lot of things come I on. hate about you, but that's <laughs> the biggest one. And if this is your first time listening, we start each and every episode with fake news or real news. Well, I have to come up with a headline. And Ryan and Mark have to decide if it's real or fake. And then we dive into the topic. And the topic is the book of Luke. Houdini. We brought it back. Popular request. You know, one person asked for it and we did it. (laughs) He was a popular person. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happens when you become a patron. Oh. We pretty much do whatever you ask. But (laughs) this fake news or real news. It's going to be sweet. Mm. New, improved, more accurate way to test for coronavirus is to swab your... (laughs) Fake news or real news? To swab my fart. Not your fart. (laughs) Your bum. I'm going to say that is real. News. What do you say, Marky? No, I think that's fake. There's no way. <laughs> that's definitely real. Can't wait to talk about this right now. It's, it's real. It's probably real, isn't it? I guess I'm going to answer Mark because I like to be a winner. Oh. So. It's real news. Let's talk about it for a second. Let's talk about it. Health authorities in China have... Deployed a specific swab test to detect COVID-19 in the lead-up to the Lunar New Year celebration. According to the Chinese state media outlet, The Global Times, a technique that some claim might be more accurate than traditional nasal swabs, throat swabs, and antibody tests. Mm. But not everyone is convinced that (laughs) swabs are more accurate. This is like... COVID prostate exams. You know what makes it more interesting? What? They have to swab it for 10 seconds. Interesting. But do you do it yourself or the doctor does it? Whatever floats your boat, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I would say neither floats my boat. Oh, yeah. My (laughs) boat isn't floating either. Just think about it for a second. No, I thought about it long enough. You go to the doctor for a (laughs) COVID-19 test and you come out a new man. Yeah. 
And if you remember, do you remember our Ezekiel episode? Vaguely. What about it? Vaguely. Our man Alex Zank came on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Form Lifestyle. Undying Light Ministries. Yeah, of course, I know Alex. The pod father. Yeah, he's, yeah, the pod he's a father. very upright man. He clean keeps his lips clean. He doesn't, you know. Mm. Yeah, his lips clean. He's very honorable. Yeah, yeah. well, he... And in our Patreon group, he dropped an ad for us that I don't think he really thought I was going to bring on the show. But guess what? It's coming. One week only. You can get your exclusive Bible Dingers Booty Rona Swabs, only nineteen ninety nine for a pack of five. <laughs> That's what he brought to me, and I, I swore to myself when I heard that, it's going on the show. Yeah, you know what I noticed more than anything else is just the way he pronounces Bible Dingers. <laughs> How did he pronounce it? Bible Dingers. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, let's hear it. Let's... One week only. You can get your exclusive Bible Dingers. <laughs> Booty Rona Swabs, only nineteen ninety nine. Bible dingers. Bible dingers. <laughs> he uh, he was trying to go Hispanic there. Yeah, you know, Hispanic Alejandro. Alex. Alejandro. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was very interesting. That is very interesting. They're doing it in China. Yeah. What and it's coming here in China. It's coming here, it guys. Seems everything starts in China. Mm-hmm. Don't everything. get don't get sick. All right. Today, after all that egregious fake news or real news, we are going to jump into the book of Luke, the third gospel of the Bible. How you doing? As always, we are going to start with the title of the book. Where are the turtles? Also known as the turtle. Where are they? Of the book. So the title of this book comes from the author's name, of course. Luke is actually most likely a nickname which would be short for either Lucios or Lucanos. So Greek. Mm-hmm. Makes me hungry for gyros. Gyro. Yeah, gyros or Greek yogurt or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I like those Lucos Dios. I mean, Lucos Dios. Yeah. I don't know. Those Lucos Gyros. Gyros. I'm all confused. It's gyro, right? Euro? I think it's actually euro, yeah. Euro? Yeah, but... I say gyro too. Yeah, that's America. That's what we say. Yeah. All right. Next is the author of the book. So, Luke and Acts were written by the same person who addressed them to Theophilus. This is both Luke and Acts. So, this author was clearly close to Paul as mentioned all throughout Acts. You see that in chapter 16, 20, 21, and 27 that uh, the writer of Acts was close to Paul. Luke is the only colleague of Paul's that fits the descriptions of the author of this book. And you see descriptions in Colossians 4.14, 2 Timothy 4.11, and Philemon 24. On top of that, the early church fathers and ancient historians covering this topic unanimously agreed that Luke was the author of this book. And uh, some of the ancient historians I'm talking about are Marcion or Marcion. I think it's Marcion, the Muratorian Canon, Irenaeus, and Jerome. Jerome, Jerome, Jerome. I'm so surprised. Jerome, Jerome, Jerome. I can't believe you didn't write that this time. I completely forgot about that from an old Kanye song. All right. And lastly, about the author, Luke was not an eyewitness account of the events in this gospel like Matthew and John. 
but rather he got his info from research and interviewing the eyewitnesses. So he was kind of like an ancient true crime podcaster who done it. Who killed Jesus? What would the show title be? You killed Jesus with your sins. That's a great title. Yeah. It's a little wordy, but it's convicting. I was thinking something like, No, I am the father. Yeah. And then everybody would be like, what is this about? They wouldn't know it's about Luke. They they would know it's about Luke because that quote says, Luke, I yeah, am the father. Right. Mm, yeah. So they would know it's about Luke and they would know it's about the father. Right. Your, your heavenly father. And then if you have a father, that means you have a <clears throat> son. Yeah. If you had a son. Right. <laughs> no. All right. So the date of writing. The book of Acts closes with Paul still alive in prison. Which, of course, if he died during or before the time of writing, it would have surely been included. And that was somewhere around 64 AD. So we know it was written at least before then because we know the Acts was written after the Gospel of Luke. He references the letter that he, quote, previously wrote to Theophilus in the beginning of Acts. So that's how we know that Luke came before Acts because these are both written to Theophilus. And he mentions the the letter that he previously wrote. And since we know that Luke and Paul were so close, it is likely that Paul was one of Luke's main sources of information. The longest amount of time they were together was during Paul's Caesarean imprisonment between 57 and 59 AD. This is the most likely time period in which Luke was written. So between 57 and 59 AD. Hmm. Nikki, do you want to hit us with that? Purpose general of the book. purpose of the book. The general purpose of the book. Absolutely. And the book of Luke is actually one of the few books that actually states its own purpose. Luke said that he wrote in order to inform Theophilus about the truthfulness of the gospel that he had heard. Hmm. And Luke also had a strong purpose to provide the reader with the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in order to convince us of the events so that we might become Christians. Yeah, I think he's really uh, he's really a facts guy. He wants you to know the facts of Jesus' life, what happened, and kind of give evidences and just tell us the whole story of Which, what happened. You yeah. keep saying facts. It's a perfect segue into our next section. But wait, Nick, I thought this was just like a first century like <laughs> form of writing. It was just kind a, of like a copy fictional. of a copy of a copy. Yeah. Yeah, well... Yeah. You're wrong. And we will get to that with our Dr. Gary Habermas interview. Absolutely. Daniel Wallace is. And Daniel Wallace as well, yeah. I can't wait for that. Both of them. We got a couple good interviews. Absolutely. Speaking of facts. Fun facts. Oh, man, we've been hitting that fart a lot today. Mm. You know? Well, we just drank some coffee. Did so. you have some chili last night or something? No. You coffee know? will do it to me, though. All right. You know what I mean? But these are fun facts. Luke wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, even though it's only two books. His two books make up 28% of the New Testament. That's super interesting. That is so interesting. Like two of the longest books in the New Testament. Yep. Yeah. 
And there's also a case to be made that he may have written Hebrews. So that would have given him something like 40% of the New Testament, if that's true. Hmm. I Luke never heard that. Deal. Yeah, looks a big deal. Yep. What did you hear, Mark? Not that. <laughs> what, what, what did you hear, though? That we just don't know the writer of Hebrews. That's all I've heard. Uh, yeah? Well, you heard wrong. It could be Luke. Well, as I take a sip of my coffee, I can honestly say that Hebrews. <laughs> honestly? Are you honestly saying that? I think I think Luke Luke brewed it. Yeah. Luke do do do. I think he brewed it. I think he brews. Um <laughs> next fun fact is Luke is a gentle and a gentle. <laughs> <laughs> not like the Jews. Yeah. He's not so uh you know, not so fierce. He's like, gentle. Uh, Jesus is in the temple. Yeah. It's early, guys. Six thirty tables. Luke is a Gentile and believed to be from Antioch. That makes him the only Gentile author in the Bible. Oof. Dang. It's pretty cool. He's a gent. And if he actually wrote Hebrews and he wrote 40% of the New Testament, him being a Gentile, it would really fit the general purpose of the whole New Testament, and that's the gospel to reach both Jews and Gentiles. Oof. The only thing... Though the book of Hebrews is so Jewish, you would think that someone Jewish wrote it. It is quite yeah. Jewish. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, either way, I think he brewed. Yeah, I get, I get the joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Regardless, Jew or Gentile, he definitely brewed. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next and last fun fact <laughs> is it should have been called Dr. Luke. Yeah. The gospel of Dr. Luke. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Luke was a doctor. Mm. He wasn't like a doctor of thugonomics. Oh. You know what I mean? What? Yeah. You can't see me? What? Is that a John Cena thing? Yeah. You can't see me? I didn't know the thugonomics thing, but I knew the you can't see me thing. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. does, John Cena does thugonomics? Yeah. Oh, He's okay. the doctor of thugonomics. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't even know what that means, but. Yeah. You know, he's not that type of doctor. Yeah. He's not like a chiropractor. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a real doctor. He's a real doctor. (laughs) (laughs) My dad's chiropractor. Yeah, I know. That's I was just taking a dig at him. Oh. Just just to be funny. But I think they're real doctors actually. Yeah. But he was a doctor. And many of Paul's epistles talk about a physician that accompanied him on his journeys. So well, even people say that there's like physician language in his gospel. Mm. Physical language. Exactly. No. Anatomical language. Sure. Yeah. I don't actually Holistic know language. Which passages. And when Jesus showed Thomas his phalanges. Yeah. Phalange is a friend's term. A, a friend's term? What? Yes. They or use that word term. a lot. No, friends. Like the oh. show Friends. Well, it's also an anatomical term. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Is it? Phalanges. That's your fingers. Yeah. And your toes, I think, right? I thought I these so. were digits. It could be either, yeah. I don't know they were phalanges. There's many words for these. Pretty sure. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I thought phalange was a made-up word because They're of They're also called tummy ticklers. Mm-hmm. Show me. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the next part is everyone's favorite boring part of the show. Oh, wow. There's no boring part of the show. The outline. Yes. No, it's not the boring part. Dinger Nation, it is time to go through the general outline of the book. Dinger Nation! So we are going to start with how many sections there are, of course. Seven. 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 Sections of Luke. It's a perfect number. I was going to hold that sound bite to the end because I wanted to explain it. Mm-hmm. But... You hit it early on in the show, but we do have two new patrons. Yeah. We have Corey and we have Courtney. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. It is exciting. Yeah. If any of you guys want to become a patron, you could see the link in our bio on Instagram. Or I think the link is just patreon.com slash Bible Dingers, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, guys. Yeah. Welcome. Even though you haven't joined yet. Welcome to our family. We're welcoming you because you're already a part of the family. You're being and we grafted know, in. Oh, ooh, we know you're already going to become a patron. You were Gentiles, but now you are Jews. I think it's predestined. Uh, oh. with you. No, they're not becoming Jews. They're Jews now. We've elected you to be patrons. Isn't that the sin of Peter? He's Peter in, is in not Galatians. A Jew. Corey is a Jew. Okay. <laughs> Corey's stop. actually a Texan. Oh yeah! And uh, yeah, that's he kind of sounds like that, but he has the coolest voice ever. We got a few from uh, Texas. You yeah. talked with Corey? Yeah. Well, not kind of. He sends audio messages in the Instagram oh, yeah. chat, and I'm like, dude, I could hear them all day because his voice is legit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's real, like. Is it soundbite worthy? Garth Brooks. Definitely. I'm going to have him say something and pull it up here. Be like, Dinger. <laughs> Dinger Nation. I want y'all to listen to me right now. <laughs> no, he should say, we need a new um, call to action at the end of the show, I think. Mm. Like, like and subscribe. Oh. Yeah. Or maybe we could put it on a YouTube or something. Don't just well, like them. You would need some kind of video. What? Make sure you hit that button. Yeah. Just make sure you go into town, flip that door open, and let Baba Dingers up in your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, Nick. All right, so we've been trying to get into this outline for about 20 minutes now. <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump in. So the first section is just the introduction, and that's the first four verses of the book. And it's just Luke introducing it to Theophilus and saying that this is an orderly account and giving the purpose on why he's writing it and stuff like that. Following that is the second section, which is the birth and the childhood of Jesus. So that's the first couple chapters. And it starts with the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, and it, which first comes to, of course, his future parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when he announces it to Zechariah, actually... In verses 8 through 23, it's the angel Gabriel, and he tells Zechariah that he's going to be mute until John is born, kind of as a sign that this is from the Lord. And that is exactly what happened. Zechariah was indeed mute for the remainder of the pregnancy. And which uh, it says that Elizabeth, his wife, hid away for five months during her pregnancy. 
for whatever. I didn't really understand the reason when I was uh, looking into it, but that's what she did. She hid away for five months while she was pregnant. Hmm. I got to look into that. Yeah. There's I, no clear code answer? To me, it kind of came across as being ashamed or something. Hmm. Um, but I don't know because that doesn't really make sense to me, but for I'm not sure. Ashamed of her husband? Of being pregnant. But, yeah, that's why I said I don't, I don't really know what happened because that doesn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. I think I misread it. Anyway, so that Something is... Something to look into. Yeah. So that's the first part of chapter one. The second part is the announcement of Jesus' birth. And we get kind of an introduction to who Mary and Joseph are. And then the angel announces to Mary that she's going to be Prager Pants. Um, and following that, Mary visits... Wait, wait. What? Can we just talk about how you just squeeze that in like it was normal? Saying someone's prager pants? Yeah. Is, Mary, that, is bro, that a normal term? Bro, the angel said it to Mary. It's right there in the text. Mary's, you's gonna be prager pants. All right. And then <laughs> following the angel's announcement to Mary came Mary's visit to Elizabeth. And this is towards the end of chapter one. And this is where... Mary goes to visit Elizabeth because they're both Prager pants and they know each other already. <laughs> I can't wait. And know. it says, it says in the text that when Mary walked through the door, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and John was jumping in her belly, and I guess because he knew, he knew that Jesus was in the other belly. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of. It's it's really appropriate in this scenario that because Mary was pregnant... Whatever you're going to say, I know, is not going to be appropriate. But it's very appropriate. <laughs> Listen, okay? Elizabeth's baby had a father. And then oh. Mary's baby, Joseph thought he was the father. Yeah. But then... Here we go. God looked down yeah. and said... No, <laughs> I am your father. See yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do. I see what you mean. I didn't know what you were... And I... Yeah. (laughs) I I keep saying, you know what I mean, this whole episode. Yeah. But you know what I I mean? I always know what you mean. Every time you mean something, I know. (laughs) I know what it is. You know? Yeah. Okay, so after that, we kind of get the birth and early life of John the Baptist, and this closes out chapter one. And we get the naming of John... Uh, which is basically where people were wondering why he wasn't going to be called Zechariah. And they were questioning Zechariah, who actually couldn't talk at the time. He was still mute. And it says that he wrote down, his name will be John. And people were like, all right. Um, And then, of course, John was born. And Zechariah could talk again. And so the first thing he does was sing. He started singing when he could talk again. Hmm. Sing me that song that he sung. I have a son named John. <laughs> oh, the overwhelming. Oh, yeah. No, he, no, he definitely didn't he sing probably that. didn't sing that. No. Definitely not. All right. And then following that <clears throat> is John the Baptist's preparation. And that's the last verse of chapter one, which just tells us that he would go hang out in the wilderness, that he didn't hang out in the city he wasn't part of the regular population for a while. While he was preparing for his ministry, he was big chilling in the wilderness. Chilling, eating bugs. Yeah, eating bugs and stuff. You know, living the dream. Uh, after that Sounds comes, great. Yeah. After that comes chapter two. And this is the birth and early life of Jesus. 
who's kind of the main character of the story, if you didn't catch on yet. Mm. Um, We get the setting of Jesus' birth in the first seven verses. And this is when Caesar Augustus wanted a census done so that, so because of that, Mary and Joseph left Nazareth and went to Bethlehem, which of course was a fulfillment of a prophecy as well. Following that was the announcement to the shepherds. And this is verses eight through 20, which I don't believe is in Matthew or Mark, but I could be wrong. Yeah. It might only be Luke. I think this is only Luke. Also, I mean, it might be in John. I'm not sure. Yeah. Also, I think the Bethlehem prophecy is in Micah, if you want to look it up. Yes, Micah. Um, anyways, this is where the angels scared the shepherds, and because they were so scared, they went and visited Jesus in Bethlehem. Following that, Jesus is circumcised. Big highlight of the book, verse 21. Following that, there's the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And this is where we get a couple of really interesting stories. There's one of an old man named Simeon who God told Simeon that before he dies, he would see the Savior. And then there was also an old woman. I don't think there's a name. There's, it just says an old woman who was also waiting uh, in the temple every day for the Savior. And they both got to see Jesus when he was a boy. Um so they saw him, they gave thanks, Simeon held him, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, and then his parents left him in the temple? Yes, they did. Well, there was like a whole festival going well, on? Well, that was that was a separate time. Okay. Um, this is not going to be the last time that they visit the temple while Jesus is a boy. Um, but then there's, because here there's a little bit of a gap here where it says that he grew and became strong and wise while living in Nazareth. So he grew up a little bit more, a little more. I think this presentation in the temple was when he was a baby still. It's kind of like a baby dedication essentially. Okay. Uh in those times. And then he grew up and then he visited the temple again as an older boy in verses 41 through 50 and it says that he was teaching there for 3 days after his parents accidentally left him there. So he they went on a day's journey away it says. And after the entire day of them leaving the temple, they realized that they lost him. So they had to make the day journey back. And then they were looking for him for a day. So it was three days that he was in the temple teaching. And it says that the people marveled at what he said. And then he just continued to grow in the end of chapter two into a man. And then his words weren't, his words were, um, to his parents once they finally found him. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Oh, no. <laughs> I there you am go. father. All right. Following that is section three, and this is the preparation for Jesus' ministry. And that is chapters three and four. And that starts with the ministry of John the Baptist in the beginning of chapter three. And it basically says that when he began, he went out and he started to preach repentance. And he would preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was making the way for Jesus. And while he was doing this, this upset Herod. This upset a lot of the leaders. And so he was actually locked up by the end of his ministry. And it it gives us a little hint of that in verses 19 and 20. It tells us that John the Baptist was locked up at the end of his ministry. But then it kind of goes back in and tells us a, a more pointed story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And that's in 
verses 21 through 22 of chapter 3. And this is where um, Jesus went. He visited John the Baptist, who baptized him. And then um, Jesus was like, John the Baptist, are you my father? And then God opened up the sky with the Holy Spirit and was like, No, I am the father. You know, on Bible thinkers, we love to beat dead horses. <laughs> Just love it. Anyways, this is the time of the um look at you. Of the story where Jesus did get baptized by John, but he didn't actually ask John if he's his father. I I kind of made that up. No. Just to put the soundbite on there. Yeah. Um but God did open up the skies and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. And God said that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Following that, we get a genealogy of Jesus on Joseph's side. Fun fact. I think uh, the Luke genealogy is Joseph's side and the Matthew genealogy is Mary's side. Hmm. Look it up. Didn't know that. Um, And then finally, in this section, we have the temptation of Jesus where he's in the wilderness for 40 days. And that's the beginning of chapter four. And that is the third section of Luke following the third section, which is the preparation of Jesus. We get the fourth section, which is Jesus's ministry in and around Galilee. And that's chapters four through chapter nine. And as you know, Jesus traveled around a little bit um, while he was ministering. He didn't just stay in one spot. Um, And this section is his ministry in Galilee. So, this is this starts in the middle of chapter four with kind of an introduction to Jesus's ministry. And it tells us that he was teaching in Nazareth and that he would teach in the synagogue, but he would get rejected actually in the synagogue in Nazareth by a lot of the people. And then he moved on to Capernaum in verses 31 through 44. And this is where he cast out demons. He healed and he taught in the synagogue is there. Capernaum? No, I think it's Capernaum. All right. So after Are you lying to me? He goes to Capernaum. He has the Capernaum's fine. Call of Peter, James, and John in the beginning of chapter five. And this is where we get the story of Jesus going out on the boat with them and telling them to cast the net on the other side. And they catch a bunch of fish. And then after that, he tells them that they will be fishers of men because now they believed, okay, this guy has got supernatural powers. Well, you kind of missed the first part of the story. Did I? It's that They weren't catching any fish at all. They weren't. That's true. And yeah. then Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side. Yeah. And Catch me on the other side. <laughs> you think he's saying that? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So following the call of Peter, James, and John, we get the beginning of controversy with the Pharisees. So we start seeing the villains of the story here, the Pharisees. And this is in chapters five and six. And it starts with Jesus's cleansing of a leprous Jewish person. And following that comes a story of basically his authority to forgive sins. And this is the story that we've heard in both of the other gospels of of the paralytic person being dropped through the roof by his four friends and Jesus telling him to get up and walk and also telling him that his sins are forgiven. And that really did not come across well with 
the Pharisees because they were like, who is this guy who says that he can forgive sins? If you want to put it in a nutshell for the whole book, everything Jesus did, the Pharisees didn't like. Yeah, right. I mean, in a nutshell, yeah, everything he did. Mm-hmm. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? Yep. Yeah, so... um he and Jesus kind of explains his attitude towards sinners after this happens. And he basically says that I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call the sinners and that, um, a doctor or people, people that are well have no need for a doctor. People who are sick need a doctor. And that's who he came for the sinners. Hmm. And then he kind of tells us about his attitude towards fasting in verses 33 through 39. And, um, this is, we talked about this in the book of Matthew, I believe, um, where people were questioning why John's disciples were fasting, but not Jesus's. And Jesus said that the disciples had no reason to fast because Jesus was with them. After that, we get Jesus's authority over the Sabbath. And this is where the Pharisees were mad because the disciples were picking some food to eat and they're not supposed to be doing work, I guess, on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes back and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which is like a boss move. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He didn't even like try and explain himself. He was like, you know what? Look at you. I'm the Sabbath daddy. And um, after that, he heals a man on the Sabbath just to prove a point, I guess, in front of the Pharisees. You know, he like. I think he did it to prove a point. Maybe. He did it to prove a point. I guess. This was kind of the same instance. I think it was just healing. Yeah. And the guy was sick and he healed him. Maybe, but I think he was also trying to prove a point because he also explains afterwards that the law of the Sabbath is not about just keeping the laws, that it's about the heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And his heart was for love and people. Well, he kept saying to the Pharisees, wouldn't you do X, Y, Z if you had to? Yeah. And of course they had no answer for that. Right. So, but it seemed like it was okay for them to do everything that they needed to do for their selfish gain. Right. But it wasn't okay to serve. Right. Yep. Following that, we get um, a widening of the disciple group. We get the selection of the 12 disciples in chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. And then we kind of get some preparations here for the Sermon on the Mount. There's an assembling of people a big multitude of people formed and they wanted to hear Jesus and be healed. And this is the setting for the Sermon on the Mount, which, which closes out chapter six. And the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, which are all those blessed sayings. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor Mm -hmm. in spirit, blessed are the humble. Um, And then he talks about loving your enemies. And then he talks about not judging people, you know, the log in your own eye, if there's a speck in their eye. And then he finishes it out with building your house on the rock and not the sand. And so I would get into all these. These are amazing teachings, of course, but I'm just trying to give you an overview of Mm -hmm. the book. And then we get chapter seven. And this is really uh, a lot of Jesus' compassion for people. There's a lot of healing and stuff in chapter seven. And it starts with the healing of the centurion's servant. And this is the the centurion is the person who knew that Jesus didn't have to go to his house to heal his servant, and Jesus commended his faith and healed the servant from right there where they were where they were speaking. Um, following that, Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead in verses eleven through seventeen, 
And then in 18 through 35, there's a little bit of confusion about Jesus' identity. There was a group of people who wanted to know who he and John the Baptist were, and Jesus says here that he is the son of man. So uh, I think that's a kickback to King David, who was also... Wait, was it King David? No, it was Ezekiel or something. Ezekiel was the son of man? Mm, I forget. I don't know off the top of my head. I think Ezekiel was the son of man. So, uh, yeah, obviously that's one of the main names for Jesus, but it's kind of a kickback to, I think, Ezekiel. It's one of the prophets, one of the Old Testament people. Well, that's one of the reasons why they thought he was either John or Ezekiel or prophets of old or something, you know? Yeah. And then uh, we get an awesome story here, which I love. It's one of my favorites. Uh, The anointing by a sinful woman in 36 through 50. And this is where a woman came and anointed Jesus' feet and was crying and weeping and stuff like that. And then there were Pharisees kind of sitting nearby and they could not believe that they allowed a sinful woman to touch, touch his feet. His feet, And they were just like appalled. And, and Jesus says that here after this, he says, he who is forgiven little loves little. And it's a, it's a really good lesson about the heart. I think that if you know, and you are humble enough to know that you are a sinner and that you have made a ton of mistakes and and you can't do anything apart from Christ, if you know that about yourself, then you're going to have a more loving attitude and compassionate attitude towards people, I think. But I think that if you if your heart is a lot more prideful and self-righteous and you kind of have a feeling like you are a good person and you have little need for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, then in turn, you are going to love little you're going to have compassion only a little bit because you because you're prideful and you feel like you weren't forgiven much you know what i mean Does that you didn't sense? do much yeah you didn't you, you didn't do bad exactly so why would you need to be forgiven you're generally a good person so you really don't have compassion for other people exactly that are kind of outrightly sinners that's also not to say that you necessarily need to be a bad person to understand forgiveness. Right. You know, it just, it comes with the territory. That's usually how of humanity. Right. We're sinful people by nature Mm -hmm. and we're deserving of wrath, but we get God's forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the people who realize that more that they deserve wrath and that they needed forgiveness, they're naturally more compassionate to other people. Exactly. Who obviously, are deserving and also need forgiveness. All right. Following that in chapter eight, we get a bunch of parables. And uh, first of all, before we get into the parables in the first three verses, it kind of gives us a little, um, it kind of gives a little shout out to some of the other followers who aren't part of the 12 disciples, but are still core to Jesus ministry on the earth. And that is three women in chapter eight, verses one through three. It talks about Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Susanna. And it talks about these three women who followed Jesus throughout his ministry and actually provided for Jesus and the disciples financially. So these were three well-off women who were basically the providers for the group. Oh, Susanna. Oh, won't you provide for me? (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So Susanna, Joanna and Mary Magdalene, three awesome women. Following that is the parable of the soils. And this is where Jesus talks about some seed falling in bad soil, 
some seed falling in good soil, and the seed that, <clears throat> that falls in good soil will grow. Following the parable of the soils, we get the parable of the lamp. And this is where Jesus talks about how no one lights a lamp and puts it under a jar or bushel or basket, hmm. depending on your translation. And following that, Jesus talks about the true family of Jesus. And he says that my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And it's then, not the first time he said that. He yeah. says that multiple times throughout this book. Yep. Um, and then to finish out chapter 8, we get some mighty works that Jesus did. There's the stilling of the storm in verses 22 through 25. Following that, we get the deliverance of a demon-possessed man in Gadara, I believe is how you pronounce that place, in verses 26 through 39. And this is one of the, um, this is one of the big demon-possession stories that you probably know. Uh, it's, it's this guy who lived in a graveyard. He didn't live in a house. He didn't wear clothes. He was like extra wild. And this is where the demons said that his name was Legion. And God took the demons and he sent them into pigs who then flung themselves off a cliff. Mm -hmm. um, that was in verses 26 through 39. Following that, we get another big story uh, that most of you know. It's the healing of a woman with a hemorrhage and the raising of Jairus's or Jairus's? Jairus. I think it's Jairus. Jairus's daughter. And this is chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And these these kind of happened both at once. It's when Jesus was going to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. He was on his way there. He stopped by a woman who touches his cloak. And this is where you turn around and like, who touched mm -hmm. me? And so the woman gets healed by touching his cloak while he's on his way to go raise Jairus's daughter from the dead, which he does. She she was only sleeping though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He does say <laughs> yeah. He says she's only sleeping. Yeah, and next we move into chapter nine. And there's a lot going on here as far as preparation of the twelve. Uh we see the mission of the twelve, and that was where Jesus gives them power over demons and diseases and stuff, and he tells them not to take anything on their journey. And then uh Herod in chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, questions about Jesus' identity. We know this about the other Gospels, that uh, he was asking, is it John, Elijah, is it the prophets of old, who was he? Obviously, he was Jesus Christ, but Herod was in denial, and he was also fearful that it was John because he killed him. You know, he got his head chopped off, so he was like, is that John coming back from the dead? Um, then we see the feeding of the 5,000 that we also know about in the other Gospels, five loaves and two fish, and there were 12 baskets left over. Peter's confession of faith happens in the middle of chapter 9, verses 18 through 27, and that's where Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God. So um, Peter confesses that. And then we see the transfiguration. This is a very... This is a very popular story that we know about. This is where we have the appearance of Moses and Elijah, and uh, we see that in the book of Mark. So we spoke about it then. This is a story that really requires in-depth study. Look into it, read it, and know it for yourself, but we don't have time yeah, to really confusing. get into the detail. Yeah, it's, it's pretty confusing, but please study it because it's important. Um, also, did we ever uh, talk about what the word Christ means? Uh, the anointed one. 
Yeah, or Messiah. Or Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case any listeners just have never looked into that. Oh, they think it's maybe his last name. They're yeah. Mr. Christ. There's a yeah, lot of his wor- brother wasn't John Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, or Christ, as we know him today. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of words that just get repeated over and over, but we don't look into. Yeah. 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 So basically, his name means Jesus, the Savior, slash anointed one. Mm. Yeah. And as we move on into uh, verses 37 and 43, we see the exorcism of the epileptic boy. The boy was having convulsions, but Jesus healed him. And we see then, in uh, at towards the end of chapter 9, not quite actually, it's verses 43 and 45, the announcement of his betrayal, Jesus' betrayal. And that's when he says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So he makes, he makes that announcement. And of course, when he makes that announcement, what do you think his followers are going to do? They're going to start fighting because that's what we do as humans. We're prideful people. Mm. And they start fighting over who was the greatest. I'm the greatest apostle. So uh, that's what happens here. That's a good impression. And I'm definitely the greatest Bible dinger, so I'm just saying that. I agree. See, that's humble right there. I don't agree. It's oh. it's it's a real example for Mark. You know what's not humble? You can learn from me. Saying what? that you're the best Bible dinger. But you know what? Jesus did say he's a son of man. You know, can I tell a funny story? I'm saying I'm the best Bible dinger. <clears throat> Back when I first met Nick, we had barely known each other, and he wanted to join the worship team. And I was kind of interim leading the worship team. Uh-huh. So we had a meeting with our pastor, me, Nick, our pastor. And our pastor was like, Nick, why do you think you would be a good fit for the worship team? And Nick was like, well, first of all, I'm like super humble. I'm like the most humble guy that you know. I didn't say it like that. <laughs> I swear you said it like didn't that. Say it no, like I didn't say it like that. I thought it was hilarious, bro. I did not say that. <laughs> first of all, I'm probably the most humble guy on the team. I just want to say that. <laughs> I did not say that. But I have to say, because... It, I probably said something along the lines of, I'm humbled to be here. <laughs> first of all, not even close. first of all, because I had a long stretch of sabbatical, that's the word, right? Away from ministry. Yeah. I think it was four years and counting yeah. that God had not given me the opportunity to serve in a worship team. He was humbling you. So I was really happy I to was join. Really humble. I was. <laughs> I was the bestest, humblest person on the team. <laughs> All right, continue. It's so funny that you remember that because I don't, but, yeah. you know, you tend to hold grudges. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan wishes he was as humble as Nick was. I'm still upset about that. Get that coming out of my face! It's, it's not true. He remembered things sinfully and wrong. That is not the reality. But we can move on to what is the reality, and that was Jesus' ministry on the way to Jerusalem. Yeah. In chapter 9, verse 51, into chapter 19. It covers a lot, but we're going to break it down. The responsibilities and rewards of discipleship we see in chapter 9 into chapter 10. The importance of toleration. The importance of self-denial. The importance of participation. The joy of participation. And the joy of comprehension. In short, and this is a lot of information, but in short, um, 
The importance of to- toleration was that James and John wanted to get back at the people for not accepting Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus rebuked oh. him. And then self-denial, we know this even today as Christians, God doesn't want us to be prideful, and God doesn't want us to be selfish. Um, so the cost of following Jesus is to make him priority, not ourselves priority. And then the importance of participation. Um, basically, Jesus sends 72 others to basically evangelize into the towns, right? Right. I mean, that's a, an example of evangelism that we see as early as the New Testament into today. Yep. Um, but 72 others, and a lot of stuff happened there. Um, and we see kind of the beginning of it and the joy that they had um, in verses 17 and 20 of chapter 10. And they recognized the power of Jesus for even the demons were subject to his name. Um, and, and that was really cool. And we also see more joy, the joy of comprehension in chapter 10, verses 21 and 24, and that's the joy of understanding the beauty and complexity of God the Father and Jesus the Son of God. We see the beauty of their relationship and the complexity of it. Um, We see that there. So the fact that we understand that brings us joy because there are a lot of blind people in this world that don't know him. So even today, there's a joy in being revealed truth. Then we see the relationships of the disciples in chapters 10 and 11. The relationships of the disciples to their neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. The relation to the disciples to Jesus. Mary simply sat at the Lord's feet and listened. And Martha was anxious about her work. So who got the benefit? I would say Mary. I'm such a Martha. Are you? Yeah, big time. Be a Mary. I want to be a Mary. Be Mary. Yeah, be joyful. That's one of my, that's, I wouldn't say it's one of my biggest struggles, but it's a big struggle for me. I'm always like trying to do, 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 do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then we see the relationship of disciples to God the Father. In short, pray, ask for forgiveness of sins, and trust Him. And in chapter 11, the results of popular opposition. We have the Beezlebulb controversy. Beezlebulb. Beezlebulb, right? Beezlebub. Beezlebulb? Beezlebub? Beezlebub. Beezlebub. I think it's bees and bob. Bees and bob? Yeah. Jesus was casting out a mute demon, but they accused him of getting his power from Satan. And that was scribes, right? We see, we know that in, in Mark. The scribes were accusing him of being Satan. Scribes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Move on into the importance of observing God's word. Jesus says, bless Rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We know that from early on in Ryan's part of the outline. And then we see the sign of Jonah in chapter 11. As Jonah was a sign of the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation and is still today. And we know, we know about Jonah because we covered that in our episode. And if you don't know about Jonah and Nineveh, and that funny story of him, please go back and listen to that episode, and please read your Bibles. We had our friend on that show. Yes. The Bible is funny. Yeah, The Bible is funny. Anthony Rizzo. Yes. The importance of responding to the light in chapter 11 um, is shown to us in verses 33 and 36. Jesus says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays give you light. So be light. Don't entertain darkness. Be light. Be light. You know what I mean? Be light. And then we see the climax of Pharisaic opposition. The Pharisees, 
that actually, no, the Pharisee that asked Jesus to dine with him was shocked that Jesus didn't wash before dinner. Jesus, Jesus basically goes off on him and says it's not the dirtiness on the outside that counts, but it's what's on the it's inside. It's the dirtiness on the inside. Yep, it's what comes out of man. I don't care how freaking dirty you are, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know this this book is a little long, but just bear with us. We're going to get through it. It's important. It's probably the most important gospel out of all of them. Oh, that's a hot take. Kind of. <laughs> it's definitely the most informative and most descriptive yeah. gospel out of all of them. I would it's say my most favorite important. gospel. Is it? Guys, stop. John is my favorite. Luke's my favorite. Actually, John, I follow Apollos. John is the most important. <laughs> Luke's most important. Mark is the most important. Thank you. <laughs> Mark is most humble. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Chapter 12 and 13, the instruction of the disciples in view of Jesus' rejection, the importance of fearless confession. Same warning as Mark, to stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees. And he basically told them, don't lower yourself. God knows the number of your head, and he will provide. The importance of eternal perspective in chapter 12. Jesus wants them to have an eternal lens, and he teaches them a lesson with the parable of the rich fool. I would love to have an episode of the parables alone, just so we can really dive deep into them, but we don't have time. Sorry, you kind of like jumbled some words there. You said, God knows the number of your head. <laughs> God Did knows he? the number of hairs on your head. I didn't catch head. that. Yeah. yeah, God knows the number of hairs on your head. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then we see God's provision for disciples in chapter 12. Do not be anxious about your life. We are more valuable than ravens, but God still provides for the ravens what to eat, and he will provide for you as well. Don't worry about food or clothing. Yep. The coming of the Son of Man happens in verses 35 and 48 of chapter 12. Be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He wants us to be prepared, and he cares about our hearts. And then we see the coming crisis in chapter 12, verses 49 and 59. Jesus came to cast fire on the earth, and he's come not to bring peace, but division. That's what the text says. In other words, he didn't come to blend in with the lies of this world, but he stands with truth against the lies, good against evil, so on and so forth. Bruh. Um, That's a pretty powerful passage. Yes, it is, but it needs to be understood as a whole, right? In, mm-hmm. in the entire in the entire book of course he's come to provide peace as well and we know that but that's not his primary goal his primary goal is to come and save um but to bring a division between what's false and what's true and we know that jesus is truth and he also wants us to repent and he also cares about our hearts so this is a a picture being painted for us from the beginning of the gospel into the end and it, it's, it's consistent with the next chapter, and that's chapter 13. This is where he says, repent or perish. So we must acknowledge the weight of our sin, and we must acknowledge the need of our Savior. So it's about checking our heart. It's about checking and repenting and acknowledging, Lord, I might not be good enough. In fact, I don't deserve you at all. So that's what God wants. God wants that heart. I don't deserve you at all, but you've come in mercy and grace to save me. Anyway, in chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, the ruler of the synagogue was upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath. <laughs> the ruler of the synagogue was upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And basically, Jesus just puts him to shame. Shame. Shame, shame, shame. Points. It's a shame. Anyway, instruction about the kingdom happens in 
chapters 13 and 14, the parables of the kingdom, the mustard seed and the leaven. I wish I can get into it, but we can't. And then entrance into the kingdom. Uh, the entrance door is narrow. Many will try, but many will fail. Okay, let's get through this. <laughs> this is a long episode. Jesus' note in the end of this uh, of this verse of these verses, twenty two and thirty, is amazing. He says, "Some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then." So it's really deep. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really deep. And we move on to Jesus' postponement of the kingdom. Jesus basically had to do what he came to do. That's it. There was no way that he can <laughs> cut out any type of anything. He needed to actually do it. He needed to do 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 it. Then we see participants in the kingdom. And I love what Jesus says here in chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. Um, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He gives this example of when you sit at the table, don't sit in the most important seat. Because what happens is if someone of a guest comes, you're going to be humiliated because they're going to ask you to get up. Sit at the least important seat. Because then when the person comes, they'll say, why are you sitting there? And they'll actually, they'll exalt you as opposed to embarrassing you. And that just started with you humbling yourself. So that worldly quote that gets passed around that says, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. It's just nonsense. That's not true. It's not biblical. God helps those who help themselves. Then we see the cost of discipleship in chapter 14. And I want to clarify this section because I think it's super important. And because it, it says, hate your mother, hate your father, and all this weird stuff here. It's not literally telling you not to honor your parents. It's not literally telling you to hate them for no reason. What it's saying is not to let anyone stand in the way of God's truth, no matter who it is. If a choice has to be made between anyone in your life and God, you have to choose God. That's what it's saying. It's not saying hate your parents, hate your mother, hate your father for no reason at all. But if they come to you and say, you're going to be cut off from this family if you're a follower of Christ, guess what? <clears throat> you don't have to hate them, but no, you do. Have you don't hate them in a way where you... In that case, you would follow you, God. Exactly. You just chose to follow Christ over what your family wanted. That doesn't mean you hate them, but that's what the verses say. Per se. <laughs> yeah. But then we see God's attitude towards sinners in chapter 15. The setting for Jesus' teaching is that Jesus ate with tax collectors and other sinners, and he encouraged teaching and witnessing to them. And the parable of the lost sheep, this is where 99, no pun intended, percent of the worship music that we see is written from. Oh. Wait, why? 99%. Why? I got 99 sheep, but... The sheep ain't one. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, 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 we see a lot of songs written from this text. This is where uh, we hear a lot of the worship songs written about how many of you wouldn't leave the 99 that aren't lost to find oh. the one. Yeah, I sang that earlier. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Did you? Well, I sang the, the chorus. I sang it. Oh, the overwhelming. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh. I don't like that song. But the parable of the lost coin is in chapter 15, 8 through 10. What woman wouldn't look for a lost coin if she knew she had 10 and lost one? 
And we see the parable of the lost son. God desires a repentant heart. That's, in short, what that parable is representing. And then we see Jesus' warning about riches in chapter 16 and discipleship as stewardship. So basically, one who is faithful and very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest and very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? So be faithful with what you have, and be honorable, and be humble. Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees that weren't humble at all. In fact, they were very greedy. In chapter 16, verses 14 to 31, we see they absolutely loved money. Yes, following that, in chapter 17, we get Jesus' warnings about disciples' actions and attitudes. Uh, so basically, this is, a, this is a family talk with the disciples. And he teaches them about the prevention of sin and the restoration of sinners. And he basically says that we should not be tempting others with sin. Uh, the person who does that should have a millstone tied around their neck and tossed into the sea. Um, and then it says that we also must always forgive sin, no matter what. Is this where Jesus says you have to get, forgive seven times seven? No, actually. Okay. It might be in other gospels, I'm not sure. But in this gospel, he basically says that if somebody sins against you, you must forgive against. them. Against? What are you, Canadian? Did I say against? I don't know. And then he said, even if they sin against you a hundred times... For the same thing, you have to forgive them every time. So I mean, this I, it sounds very simple, but this is like really difficult stuff. Yeah, like I think of um, I know people have been extremely hurt by their own parents. Yeah, and they feel like they just cannot forgive their parents. Yeah, and I understand that because of how terrible their parents have been to them. Right, and it's like you know what Jesus is teaching is it's not not easy. Yeah, even though it sounds simple. Yeah. It's true, especially the part where he says, even if they do the same thing over and over again. So, you know, but, can you imagine just being can, hurt the, uh, yeah. in the same way, you know, and then you still need to forgive them. That's yeah. what the Bible calls us to do. Right. And I can think of real people with real things that they're struggling with. Yeah. I mean, that's the way of God. That's the reconciliation of God. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the beginning of chapter 17. And then Jesus also tells us that we are to be humble and we must have a servant's heart. Um, and also he kind of wraps this up with Luke. I mean, he kind of wraps this up with a story about how Jesus healed 10 lepers, but then only one came back and thanked Jesus and Jesus commended that one. Following that, we get Jesus teaching about his return in chapter 17 and 18 and it starts with a short lesson to the Pharisees, basically Jesus saying that he is God. And then he goes into a longer explanation for the disciples. So the beginning of or the beginning of this part, he's really short with the Pharisees. He's, he's not sitting there trying to explain to them because I think he knows the heart. He knows that they're not actually trying to learn. They're just usually trying to trick and trap Jesus. And then he turns to his disciples and kind of gives a, a bigger explanation and talks about how he's going to be coming back in a blink of an eye and that they should be ready and um, just, just be ready for his return. And then he ends that with the parable of the persistent widow who is essentially a woman who just is persistent and she keeps bothering a guy until she gets her way. 
Following that, in chapters 18 through 19, we learn about the recipients of salvation. And it starts with a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And this is the story where the Pharisee is acting all holy and praying loudly in front of everyone, uh, thanking God that he's not a sinner. While the sinner, the tax collector, quietly asks for mercy for his sins in the corner. And Jesus says that the tax collector was justified, but not the Pharisee. And then following that, we get uh, an illustration of humility. And this is where the disciples were holding off the children, but Jesus tells the children Mm -hmm. to come forward and that you must have a childlike faith to enter the kingdom. Following that is what I call the handicap of wealth. And it starts with the story of the rich young ruler who is a a very rich young man who says he's kept all the commands and he comes to Jesus and says, how can I enter the kingdom? And Jesus answers him by saying that you need to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And it says that the rich young man walked away sadly because he was too, um, he held on too tightly to his possessions and his Mm. money. And then following that instance, Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. But one thing that I thought was interesting when I was re-going through this for today's show, and I never noticed, and I feel like people never talk about, is that immediately following God saying that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, Jesus then says, but with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason, I never hear that part. And I never thought about that part yeah. with this. I always hear it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven. And then period after the eye yes. of the needle. Yes. But Jesus has a second sentence after this and says, but with God, all things are possible. You know, what's really sad mm. where I heard that quoted was Kenneth Copeland. Oh yeah. And he uses that to justify why it's possible for him to be wealthy. That's crazy. That is too bad. But but it's also interesting. Yes. Again, the general message behind this entire gospel is that more so than money and what you have and materialistic things or whatever, God cares about your heart. Yeah. So if you have money, all things are possible with God. If he changes your heart and you know, you you serve humbly, you serve mm-hmm. others, and, you know, you bear fruit. It doesn't fruit. matter how much money you have. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what you got. Yeah. So, But the general message is, check your heart. Yeah. I think that's what I just kept reading over and over again as, you know, as yeah. I read this gospel. Yep. And to have a good hermeneutic, you need to be taking in the whole of Scripture. And the whole of Scripture is very clear that, you know, if you have your treasure here, moths will get it, robbers will come in and steal it. Yeah. You know, it. It, to take one verse and be like, see, this is why I can be yeah. rich. Yeah, right. You can't take your riches with you. Not that there's anything wrong with having anything on this earth. So to take these two verses and say, this is a general point of this entire passage. It's a continuation of a point that God cares about your heart. Mm-hmm. No matter what you have, all things are possible through him. Yep. Yeah, so following this, um, we get Jesus' announcement that he is going to be killed and he's going to raise again. And the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and that's pretty much just that. That's the end of that that part. <clears throat> and then there's a healing of a blind man near Jericho. Following that is the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And that is chapter 19. 
And this is where Jesus told Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, um, that you he wanted come to come down. Yeah, from Zacchaeus going to was your house today. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and so he climbed from a going tree. To your house today. What is that? <laughs> he climbed a sycamore tree uh, because he was wee, and he wanted to see Jesus. And uh, Jesus told him to come down. I want to go to your house. And Zacchaeus repented. He said that uh, he is going to return everything that he stole fourfold or tenfold or something. Right I already there. said the whole story. You missed it. Yeah, you did. Is that like a Sunday school song? Yeah, you never heard yeah. Zacchaeus? No. A wee little man was he. He climbed, he climbed up, up in a sycamore tree for the Lord in a land was he. <laughs> no, you you messed up the words, bro. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the for Lord he wanted to see. No, for a, for a wee little man was he. No. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. <laughs> from going to your you house today. With, you stop with the singing. From and going then you to do. your house today. Yeah. No. <laughs> I am the father. And then Zacchaeus said, why? What? Yeah. How? Okay. I love bread. <laughs> Jesus wanted to eat, bro. Okay. This is leading up to the the you know the parable the of the Minas. Oh, yeah, right. Well, following that is the parable of the Minas. The what? The Minas. The what? M I N A S. Anyway, so this is basically the same as the parable of the talents. But Matthew uses the word talent in his gospel because I think because he has a better understanding of finances. Mm. And Luke here uses, he calls it the parable of the minas. Following that, we get Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And it starts with the triumphal entry, people. Chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. This is where he tells his boys, go get me a donkey. Jumbo jet. And he (laughs) rides in on a donkey jumbo jet. Following that, we get the beginning of his ministry, and it starts with him kind of weeping over Jerusalem because they have rejected him. That's in verses 41 through 44. Then he cleanses the temple in verses 45 through 46. This is where there's the money changers and the merchants, and he drives them out. Following that, we kind of get a synopsis of Jesus' teaching in the temple in the last two verses of chapter 19, and it says that he was teaching in, in the temple, and the Pharisees wanted to kill him, but they didn't know what to do since the audience loved him so much. They loved him and his teachings so much, so they were kind of stuck. And then we get Jesus' teachings in the temple, and uh, that's in chapters 20 and 21. I'm, I'm sorry, that just reminded me of Matt Chandler speaking at Elevation. Like, everyone's clapping. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Furtick. Yeah. It was like, a great sermon. But everyone loved him. Yeah. He couldn't not love it. It was a great sermon. Anyway. So chapter 20 starts with a controversy over authority where the Pharisees asked what authority Jesus taught from. And he essentially doesn't answer the Pharisees. He can't even with them at this point. You know? He can't even. He can't even. So he doesn't even. Um, following that, we get the parable of the wicked tenant farmers. And this is uh, not a very commonly used parable, but it's basically a parable about <clears throat> these people that were renting a vineyard and the owners wanted some fruit from the vineyard. And so they sent out servants to go get some. And the the people renting the vineyard treated those servants poorly when they came to get fruit. And then the owner eventually sent his son and the the tenants who were renting the vineyard killed his son 
And then the owner of the vineyard came back and killed the tenants for killing the son. So not very commonly used parable, but it's in there. It's in two of the gospels at least. Um, and I think it has something to do with Jesus dying, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, following that Good point. Thanks. Following that, we get the question of tribute to Caesar, which is where the Pharisees ask him uh, if they should pay taxes. And Jesus says, give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Following that, we get the problem of the resurrection in verses 27 through 40. And this is where the Pharisees try to trick Jesus by asking about marriage in the next life. Basically, if somebody remarries, who are they going to be married to in the next life? And this is where Jesus says that no one will be married and isn't it supposed to be like, you know, once you're in the presence of God, that'll be such an overwhelming experience of love. Yeah. That, I mean, you don't need your freaking spouse anymore. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, that's the real marriage. Yeah. Even the explicitly written in the New Testament, like Paul, that's literally what we call marriage, like the church yeah. finally coming and being with Christ. Yeah. Mm. This marriage on earth that you have is your fake marriage. <laughs> no. And that one is your real marriage. So just keep that in mind. No, just like a the foretaste. Old Testament, it's pointing forward. Yeah. yeah. Foretaste. Following that is um, Jesus' questions about David's son. And this is kind of a confusing few verses here in chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. Basically, he's saying, how is the Lord David's son if David calls him Lord? So chew on that for a little bit. It's confusing. Following that is Jesus' condemnation of the scribes. And he says that the self-righteous people will have greater condemnation. And then he has a commendation of a widow. And this is the widow who was poor and she gave everything that she had in the offering. And he commended her for that. Following that, we get Jesus' teaching about the destruction of the temple in chapter 21. And it starts with the setting and the warning about being misled, where he basically says, don't be scared into thinking it's the end of the world by everybody who says that it's the end of the world. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Quite pertinent. Mm -hmm. Following that, there is the need for faithful preser perseverance, not perseverance. And basically, it talks about how the faithful will be persecuted, but will be rewarded if they remain faithful. And he's talking here about the end. Following that is the judgment coming on Jerusalem in verses 20 through 24 where he says that destruction is on its way. And then following this destruction comes the second coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus says that there will be fear and there will be signs in the stars and the seas and that people will be fearing the end of the world. And this is when Jesus will return. So be looking at the stars. Be looking at the seas. And Jesus says that these events are certain. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. So this is happening. Mm. And then finally, we get a concluding exhortation towards watchfulness. And he says, stay alert until the end. Stay alert and be ready for my return. And then we get a little bit of a summary of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And that closes out chapter 21. And basically, it tells us that people are constantly coming to the temple to hear Jesus speak. And they marveled. Yeah. And next is a very, you know, well-known section of the gospel here, and that is Jesus's passion, resurrection, and ascension. So we're going to move through this really quickly. I don't think you need much detail because all of you hopefully know the story. 
And uh, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, we see the plot to arrest Jesus. So uh, chapter 22, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death. And then Judas had a special offer in chapter 22, verses 3 and 6, and Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And then we see the preparations for the Passover in chapter 22, 7 through 13, the events in the upper room in chapter 22, 14 through 38. Uh, just reading about that really made me think about your dad. Maybe you missed the old days at church. Mm-hmm. He had a ministry called the Upper Room. It was pretty successful. Up, upper Room Prayer. You yeah. know, in a way, we're in the Upper Room. Hey. Because we're in the... We're upstairs. Upstairs. In the yeah. attic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's the point of the story. Whenever you're in the attic. Yeah. Um, but, no, the Upper Room is where the Passover meal happened. In chapter 22, verses 14 through 18. So then we see the institution of the Lord's Prayer in chapter 22, 19 through 20. So this is where they're sitting around. Everybody has the picture of the wall, all 12 of them on the table. They have that picture there. Yeah. On the one side of the table for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know how it got there, but it was pointing forward. Yeah. Well, I meant they're all sitting on one side of the table, you know. Yeah. Like in the picture. Oh, in the picture. Yeah. yeah. They wanted to be close. Yeah. You know? I think it was kind of like a hibachi bar type of place <laughs> <laughs> where they were cooking the food on the other side. You know? They were baking fresh bread right yeah. on the grill. Yeah. Or like a sushi train. <laughs> yeah. They they cut it up with the spatula. Yeah. <laughs> the bread. And they just passed it out. And they were chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what happened. They they chucked it at Judas. <laughs> You're gonna be the one, Saki. And Judas was anyway. like, "I love bread." And Judas was like, "I don't." Anyway, we see the Lord's Supper and Jesus's announcement of his betrayal. Chapters, I mean, chapter twenty-two, verses nineteen through twenty-three. I can't talk right now. Basically, Jesus announces the betrayer is sitting at the table with him, and he starts teaching the disciples about service in verses 24 through 30. And this is where, again, the disciples start to argue about who is the greatest, and he commands them, just as he commands us, to be humble. Sit down. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kenny Lamy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Then we see Jesus' announcement of Peter's denial. This is a very well-known story. And the opposition to come in verses 35 through 38. This is where he tells them to go grab some swords, right? Get some swords. And they get two swords, sell their cloak if they don't have one, to get a sword, and basically prepare them to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Am I right? I guess. I forget, I think so. to be honest. Yeah, he tells them to st- if they don't have a sword to go and get one. And I guess it's just so for that protection. you could not use it later. Right. Yeah, to chop off some ears. Yeah, yeah. And then we see the arrest of Jesus, chapter twenty-two, thirty-nine through fifty-three. It starts off um, in Gethse- Gethsemane. Gethsemane, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts off in Gethsemane, in verses thirty-nine through forty-six of chapter twenty-two. And Jesus got really upset at the apostles for sleeping because he was trying to pray. And this is a really intense scene. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Mormons believe that the atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was sweating blood. Really? 
That's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I wonder I, what would I, cause I, them to think that. Yeah, I, would I don't know. I mean, it's, what would ask? What it's would some cause kind anybody? of insufficient view of the cross. I don't know. Huh. Yeah. The blood started in his eye. Huh. I mean, the blood is definitely symbolic to something, but it's not... Not the atonement not for the our atonement. sins. Yeah. <clears throat> the whole... Then, th- oh, sorry. The whole thing is the picture of the sacrificed lamb, like in Leviticus. So exactly. Anyway, then we see uh, where am I? Judas's betrayal. Then we see Judas's betrayal in verses forty-seven through fifty-three, and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Yep. Then we see the trials of Jesus. Um, Basically. This happens between chapters 22 and 23. Peter's denial of Jesus, the mockery of the soldiers. So the men holding Jesus in custody mocked him and beat him. The trials before the Sanhedrin. And this is where they ask him, are you the son of God? And he says, you say that I am. And Jesus' first appearance before Pilate in chapter 23, verses 1 through 7, Jesus answers him the same way. He told him, you have said so. So, And then he went before Herod in chapter 23, 8 through 12, and neither of them found him guilty of anything worthy of death. Yeah, I think part of this, I just want to say, I think part of this is them thinking that, but I think that's a very small part. I think most of it is like a political, like them not wanting to cause an uproar by killing Jesus. They don't want the blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. So I think they can kind of come across as good guys, Pilate and Herod, but because they not. don't want to deal with it. But they're not. Yeah, but it's more so them just covering their own back so they don't have to... Exactly. Like, get thrown, overthrown or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Say, oh, the people did it, not me. Exactly. I washed my hands, but meanwhile, it was them. Yeah. Next is uh, when Jesus goes back to Pilate in chapter 23, verses 13 to 25, and this is the scene where Pilate releases Barabbas instead in response to the demand of the people. People wanted Barabbas, the criminal, to be released and for Jesus to be killed, um, which completely blows my mind, but it just shows you the heart of humanity. Mm. And then we see the crucifixion of Jesus and the events on the way to Golgotha in chapter 23. And this is where Simon of Cyrene carried Jesus' cross and we also are introduced to the two other criminals that were laid away to be put to death with Jesus. And then we see Jesus' death. And this is, for me, it's so important. This is where uh, the curtain gets split in two when he dies. And this is very, very important. Because when that curtain rips, it now tells us that we don't have to go to a set place in the temple we don't have to do X, Y, Z to get to have a relationship with God. Talk to a mediator. We priest. don't need a mediator. Mm-hmm. We're the Christ, Christ is the mediator. Our kingdom of priests. Exactly. Yep. So when that curtain ripped, we now know that we get access to God's family through Christ Jesus. And we don't have to go to a special place and light a special candle and do any of these crazy stuff to try to get to God. We have him right now. Yeah. Um. Then... We go to the burial of Jesus, and that's where Joseph from Arimathea. No. Yeah, you had it. Arimathea. Mm -hmm. That's where Joseph of 
Joseph from Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus' body and laid him in a tomb. I don't have to give you much detail here. In chapter 24, we see the resurrection of Jesus and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and the appearance of the disciples walking to Emmaus. I love that story. Yeah. That's it's one really, of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Really, really cool. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. Who were the first people that saw him? It was l- the women, Mary, right? Yeah, Mary. The women. Yeah. No, they saw the angel. But no. he also, in Mark, it says that uh, he appeared to them on the way back. It's the women. Oh, uh, I thought it was... Uh, who did we talk about earlier? The three women? Joanna, Joanna and Susanna. Susanna. Yeah. But I think and it's... Mary? Isn't it different women? Yeah, it's Mary Magdalene. Martha? Mary, who is... No. I don't think it's Jesus' mother, but there's another Mary. And then I think Susanna might have been the I third woman. I thought it was woman. Susanna, yeah. There was a third woman. I can't remember her name. I think it was Susanna. Starts with a J. I feel like it starts with a J. But know. again, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Well, I'm tired about that. I'm pretty sure it's women because it, it lends to the credibility of the the, the rawness yeah. of the testimony, the fact that women are the first ones because normally their testimony would not hold much in the court and in, in, in those that days. culture yeah exactly so it would be weird to make that part of the story up yep absolutely and then we see the appearances to the disciples in jerusalem and the ascension of jesus in chapter 24 and the end verses 50 to 53 he led them out as far as bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them and while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven so that's that's what we see. We see our king ascending into heaven that's it. for the last scene of this gospel. And that's it. That is the book of Luke. We know it was long, but it is the longest gospel in the New Testament. Lots of facts and things of that nature, as we stated in the beginning. Um, we hope that you guys enjoyed it. Also, if you guys like this ministry, if you like our podcasts, our videos, our articles... <clears throat> I I hope that you would think about partnering with us on Patreon. We pay for all of this out of pocket. It's just coming straight out of our our own wallets, and we pay for the hosting fees and the advertising and all that stuff. Um, so it would be a huge help to us if you guys came alongside us and helped us with our ministry. If you enjoy us and and your heart is leading you that way, you can find us on Patreon at Bible Dingers or. We're about to have a bunch of calls to action here, and so we don't want you to get confused or jumbled up. You can always just find all of our information at BibleDingers.com. That's absolutely right. And if this is the first episode that you're listening to, and you love what you hear, and you are not a part of Dinger Nation, make sure you go on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and search at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Make sure you hit subscribe, hit follow, hit like, and most importantly, ding on. Yeah, I know if I like Bible anybody dingers. Yeah, yeah, 2020 looking fuzzy, ain't nothing clear. Yeah, mm, got my dogs out here, ain't money nowhere. Yeah, but you ain't gon' catch me slipping, now you ain't. I'm riding steady, wanted all the things that I prayed for.
Bible dingers, embrace the ding.